This week on the Reflex Blue Show, Ben Luters concludes his journey of Design Camp with an interview with Eric Madsen. Next week, we'll return with reviews of football game advertisement. Welcome back to the Reflex Blue Show. I'm your host, Ben Luters, and I am joined today by Eric Madsen. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. You're welcome, Ben. We're shaking hands right now. Yes, can you see it? (laughs) Can you see it? So, Eric, I got to say, I sat down to lunch yesterday, and I was joined by all kinds of great designers, but most of them I didn't know and I didn't recognize. Of course, I recognized Paula Scher, who I had interviewed the night before, but you were sitting right across from me, and I started to get to know you a little bit, and I didn't realize that you were the guy that was about to give a keynote right after lunch, and I started asking you some questions about where you came from, um, how you ended up in Minneapolis, and kind of basically the story of your life. And you kind of stopped me and you were like, are you going to hear my talk in a few minutes? And I was like, crap, I better, you know. And uh, he's like, just wait. And so I go to your talk, and I think like everybody that went to your talk, I was blown away, you know, by your story. And that's what you shared. It wasn't... You didn't present, in, in stark contrast from a lot of other people's presentations, it's kind of, here's a project, and here's a, you know, that I did, and here's the process, and that's very helpful, and I've really enjoyed it, and enjoyed Paula Share doing that. Um, but you just kind of gave us a story of your entire life, basically, and that was so helpful, because I think anybody can relate to a story, and one of the things I'm passionate about, and that I'm trying to glean from some of these designers that have been around a few years longer than I have is design as a lifestyle and I I can't think after hearing your talk I can't think of anybody better to talk about that so let's talk about that fine yeah. <laughs> Eric. And, and I think you need to tell them that at lunch they served turkey and most of the audience was asleep so. <laughs> we were a little sleepy but I tell you you, you woke us up I think you got everybody to cry and you got a standing ovation and you earned it so oh, yeah it was very touching I was so moved well, obviously, yeah. <laughs> Eric. I was moved. So tell me, design as a lifestyle. Can you kind of share a little bit of your talk with us on the podcast for those of us who weren't able to hear? Well, uh, I think for this talk, then my my thoughts were that uh, I decided that there probably be, might be people in the audience who had gone through a similar situation I'd gone through growing up in the 50s maybe or the 60s even though they're so much younger but maybe having had that similar experience of discovering oh my gosh at this early age I have this I have this ability to maybe draw something or to you know, to create something but no I was not in an environment uh, or an era that really promoted it or fostered it or there were mentors and I also probably should explain that uh, I grew up on a ranch in the Texas Panhandle so and it was in the 50s and in the early 60s and uh, at that time in in that environment uh, as you saw and the listeners haven't seen but as you saw uh, I did not have art classes or mentors or role models or anything like that so um, I basically set that aside after a point in time realizing that there seemed to be no viable direction for it um, but um, 
happily for me, you know, I, I was able to go to the University of Houston later, even though I was pre-med starting and discovered art at a major university. Luckily, there was a major art department, and that's really, it, uh, I think, the, the first time that I realized maybe those early uh, abilities to do something with art could actually be, I could act on them because there was a faculty, there were courses, and, and so I, I changed my major from medicine to art, as, you, as I said to the crowd. But, um, and I, I think, just to back up, I think, I think in structuring the talk, uh, I felt that it was important maybe to explain um, how confused I was and, you know, uh, the, the uncertainty about this talent uh, or this maybe just, I would say, raw talent or this love of drawing more than anything. And on, in the hopes that maybe there were some young designers in the audience who could say, yeah, I, I've I had those same things. So then maybe I'm what I'm doing now in the courses that I'm in, or you know whatever is that I'm on the same I'm on that same set of tracks, or I'm on that same road. So there is there is light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, there's something that I can do with this. I can see that not everybody is born right into the right environment. Um, you know. It's interesting, I think you mentioned Paula, but I think of if I had been born in a major metropolitan city or area like um, New York or L.A. or one of them at the, in those days, I think discovering art, number one, would not have been difficult at all. Discovering even the early um, profession that we now call graphic design or design, which might have been not labeled that in that era might have not been so hard you know in other words it might have been clear to me because um, when you think of commerce and everything that happens in those environments they all need you know that that kind of service even right. back then even though in my environment as I mentioned in the in the talk most of what I experienced and what I know now to have been something that might we would use loose I would use loosely use the term design was done by a printer you know so right with the business cards yeah, that you showed yeah yeah the business cards that that uh, I did when Ron and I were uh, folk singing but um, it never dawned on me that I would ever have <laughs> at some point in my life the ability or the capability of actually creating a custom business card it was <laughs> I can just I just remember the day we walked in this print shop and he just said you want this style you want this style or this style right <laughs> yeah we said well we'll take that one you know and you saw the letter spacing and love I mean, it I mean you could drive a car through all of those letters and uh, different right. there was three different fonts on the card and uh, at that time, did you look at the card and were no. you like, oh, no, no. like, oh man, no. that needs to be no. kerned a little bit? Or? No, not at all. Not at all. No. Never dawned on me. No. Wow. But if there'd have been a draw, if he'd put a drawing of something on yeah. it, you know, I would. That might have stopped me because that was something that, as I, uh, as I, presented in my talk, 
yeah. that love of drawing was something yeah. that had preceded this whole career, oh. the mini career in music. But, but uh, uh, no, it did not dawn on me, Ben. No, not in, not even remotely at that, <laughs> in that era. No, I was. We were dead set on becoming the next Simon and Garfunkel. And those were the the two things that really resonated with me in your talk were your love of drawing and your sharing your personal drawings with the, the group um, and also your, your love of music. Those are things that are very important to me. So I started out, you know, wanting to make it as a musician and everything. We just had a little conversation before the podcast and how a lot of uh, <laughs> Eric's idols of, you know, Simon and Garfunkel and John Denver, which you actually knew. Yeah. Is that right? Yes. It's a, it's a yes. personal friend. Unbelievable. I just want to touch you right now. You know, <laughs> um, you know and, and that's that's kind of how I started. So that's that was a big part of my own life. And, and, and music is still such an important outlet to me. So I kind of want to talk to you a little bit about that is how I know that you shared these sketches and they're so beautiful. I can't believe your attention to detail that, you know, and I hope we can maybe put some of these up on the blog post when we do this, show some of these, these pictures uh, that he's done. But, um, is music still an outlet of yours? I saw you collect some Martin guitars. Yes. I'm a Taylor guy, but okay. Martins Taylor's are good too. A nice, nice. Yeah, hey, it, don't. I don't. just bought some Martin strings, so. Yeah. Well, yeah, see, I'm trying. I use the Dario's, but that's okay. fine. No problem. Uh, but uh, listen, you do not have to apologize for Taylor. You know, Taylor is a great guitar company. No, I mean, I know it. Yeah. I, went, I went back and forth between. I was. I finally decided I'm going to buy a guitar that yeah. wasn't a $300 guitar yeah. one day. You yeah. know, had to make that one step up. And I, I just sat there going between the certain Martin and the yep. certain Taylor. Just yep. went back and forth and back yep. and forth. They're both great instruments. Yep. And my wife was there with me and she just helped me. And I, I think with my sound, the Taylor just was the better bet. But Martin's a beautiful Are you guitar. a finger style player or a flat picker? I, I do it both ways. Do I do yeah, I do yeah. all kinds of different stuff. Yeah. <laughs> what yeah. about yourself? I play fingerstyle, so I like yeah. the smaller body Martins and mm -hmm. but when I've played uh, smaller body Taylors, uh, I'm just I, I'm I'm equally impressed. I, but I think they are another great you know great, oh, yeah. great luthier or well actually yeah. their manufacturer but you right. know, luthier would be a smaller scale. Um, a guitar I play a lot now is a uh, guitar called uh, Collins. It's made oh, by absolutely. you know Bill Collins in absolutely. Austin. And, uh, a friend of mine works down there. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. yeah, I went. I went to Austin one time with uh, Dougal Sturmer actually. Oh. And we were to talk more about him. Yeah, minute, we but. were down there together, and uh, we had some custom cowboy boots made, and then we went over mm. and had lunch with Bill Collins. And uh, unbelievable. We each yeah. bought a guitar, and and. Believe it or not, uh, even though I have this collection of Martins and Dougal did it did as well, uh, we each end up ended up buying Collins, and I actually play that guitar quite a bit. Yeah, fantastic yeah, guitar. because it's a, it's just it, it's a it's a smaller size. It would be comparable to like a double O size body size in Martin. So it's it's perfect for a finger picker, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, still has the long scale on the neck, but it's the body's small enough that I can hold it more right. easily yeah yeah so, so do you do you compose your own music and play yeah, your own yeah, stuff I yeah i still do I, try, I play every day uh only uh for myself and 
Uh, Only for yourself. Do you, do you ever perform or no, record no, or no, anything? No, share? Not anymore. Not anymore. Oh no, my no. goodness. We need to well, I need well, bring my podcast down there and record <laughs> you with it. It'll sound great. Well, no, I got to get my chops back up if I was ever going to do that. But I think we, like we were talking at the at the, the Q&A during, after my talk, I think somebody asked about music and I think you can identify with this, but um, I think once we seem as designers to I won't generalize, but I'll put it, I'll just make it personal. Once I started to focus on design, then I realized uh, all the hours that I would normally be woodshedding and mm -hmm. trying to get my ch keep my chops up and play was now going into building yeah. a career and running a company. And uh, so I gave it 110%, and the guitar kind of became a you know, stepchild to. Although the love of music, like in yourself, which I think is just great that we share that, I, 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 that will never leave us. And because I've always believed that um, uh, music is the biggest language that we share on this planet. I mean, mm -hmm. you can go anywhere in the world, and you'll find that that culture, that society, that you know whatever, have got. They have music. Absolutely. You know, they have art. Yeah. But music is. It's and more I, fundamental. And if you don't think it's great, then go to a movie and just say, just leave the soundtrack off. You know, I mean, <laughs> just what it brings to a movie. I heard, I heard that George Lucas played the first Star Wars movie to some investors, the first cut without any music to it, and to see kind of what their reaction. They all hated it. This is the worst thing ever. So we had John Williams do the soundtrack, oh, and yeah. now it's like the most amazing thing ever. I you love know? that story. But I didn't think know of, that. But yeah. think about it, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, just look at Dancers with Wolves, you know. Mm. I mean, I love that, you know. Mm -hmm. going across that prairie and everything but I'll tell you when that's John Williams as well you yeah. know? and you start I believe it's John Williams I think Dancing so yeah, uh, I'll have to fact check that if not yeah. we're going to have to cut that part right yeah, out of the we'll cut it out. I think okay. I know Jurassic Park Indiana Jones he yeah. did everything he did, double check that so much. for me okay. but I think it is you know that movement yeah. and uh, but anyway yeah but I didn't mean to digress but uh, I, I just think that I know I never let go of it yeah. But I also know people in our profession who have kept their chops up and still gig and still yeah. play on oh, a fairly regular basis. Um, I'm trying to get back into it. You know, it's funny. It, it was like that for me, too, where, you know, I, I really tried pursuing both at the same time. Yeah. But the more that I really oh. got into design and stuff and I was trying to ramp up my own business, it was like, it was hard. You know, and then I got married and you have a kid and then things happen. And so, like, you know, it's hard to, you know, something's got to go. And so a lot of it was music. But... Still, at the end of the day, when I come home yeah. from a, a long day of work, I sit down at the piano. You know, yeah. I sing. I, you know, yeah. grab the guitar. I, I don't write as much as I, I used to, but I, I need to. Yeah. And I think knowing that you, you know, you gotta having that in the back of your head that you know this is still part of you. Well, you know? I think I think it's I think it's also. Um, I was just having this conversation um, yesterday with Chip Kidd, uh, who's here. Yeah. And um, Chip has this experience. Uh, as a drummer. What? Yeah. Did not know that. Yeah. But we were having this conversation and we both, you know, we both kind of agreed that, that I think that there, 
at some point. I'm just trying to picture Chip yeah. as a drummer. I know. I know. He I know. doesn't look the Can part you to me. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm trying what to a... think what part of the band is this Chip. <laughs> <laughs> I know. What a yeah. What a great guy. Uh, but he gave a very different talk than you did, by the way. Yeah, I did, but <laughs> but, but nonetheless, great. yeah, wonderful. But the thing that we were talking about was that at some point, probably, and you can identify with this, is that there's this economic piece that comes yeah. into the equation. It and really does. In music. I showed that slide about my my kind of metaphor for the Great Pyramid of Music, but um, unless you know, uh, you suddenly had a revenue stream and you can support yourself yeah. at that point when you're also starting to make that decision whether it's going to be design or music as full time. Mm-hmm. You know, what I saw was. Um, once I got that job, that first job in Houston, and realized, oh my gosh, I'm, I've got a great job, I'm in a good firm, um, you know, the salary, which would be laughable if I even mentioned what it was, but I mean, <laughs> still, in those days, I was thrilled, and I realized, already I'm making more than I was folk singing yet, but I, I hated to let go of that. You know, and the commitment. I mentioned that you know you mentioned uh, you know John Denver. We knew him before. We knew him as John Dutchendorf. Um, I, for, I forget that was his. Yeah, his friends <laughs> called name. him Dutch, and and uh, but I remember the night that uh, we were on a uh, program together, and uh, his trio, because uh, he was an architectural studies major at Texas Tech, just down the road from us. And, 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 I did not and, uh, know that. But I remember the night that he, we were backstage, and he told Ron and I, he said, I'm going to drop out of Texas Tech, and I'm going to go to the West Coast and see if I can make it. And I didn't get into this in my talk because I was afraid I was going to be even running too long as it was, but what I was going to say Ooh, was... Say it here. Say yeah, it here. What this I was is your say, outlet. What I was going to say is that in, in, the, in the mid-60s, early 60s, when we knew him and we were playing... Uh, the only way to make it in music was to say, it's going to be music, it's not going to be school. We're dropping out, like he did. And I, you know, Ron and I talked about it, and, and I, I remember saying to Ron, I don't know about you, but I don't have the guts to tell my parents that I'm dropping out of school and pursuing this field. Uh, it was maybe... It, it, it may it may have been that my feelings about being such a uh, responsible child or mm-hmm. trying to make something of myself in their eyes yeah. was was keeping me in school and that um, but what John did was what had to be done in those days. In other words, you had to actually get out and start doing it. And he had so much charisma. Uh, had such a magnetic personality that when he was in that trio, you really didn't look at the other two guys much. You could, your eyes could not would not really? drift from him because he had this magnetic smile. He was True. he just absolutely it, his personality just reached right out into that audience and grabbed you. And uh, I think he was also like Simon said today in his talk. Uh, which I missed, Simon Collusion. Yeah. yeah, he said being in the right place at the right time. You know, John got to the West Coast. Chad Mitchell had a trio called the Chad Mitchell Trio. Chad left the trio. John John Denver. John got there, changed his name to John Denver. 
took Chad Mitchell's place. It became the Mitchell Trio, and then he wrote. I think the way it worked was because then we kind of lost contact with John. But I think the way it worked was that he wrote "Leaving on a Jet Plane" and Peter Paul and Mary picked it up. And then uh, once he got that oh, revenue that the order stream, there? well, I think so. I, and this might might need songs. some fact checking as well. But you know, because once he left Texas, we kind of lost touch with him. The next thing we knew, he was he'd spent a little bit of time in the Mitchell Trio, and then I think as a result of the success of some of his own songwriting being covered by acts like Peter, Paul, and Mary, uh, in, uh, because he started writing such great material, yeah. I think he suddenly had a revenue stream to a point where he could go solo, and he did. And the rest is history. He's one of the, probably, one of the single largest, or, or greatest success stories of the 70s in music that there was. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you think he almost kind of owned the 70s mm -hmm. from a you know, just a music generation, income producing kind of thing, you know, so. Absolutely. So I think for you and I, um, you know, we may share that, but it's like you reach that point where you say, okay, the road is for, we got a fork of the road here, so mm -hmm. do I pursue yeah. something I love, which and is music. And the revenue does make a difference. Yeah, and, and really for me does. it was, I knew I had to start earning an income. Yeah. Absolutely, and I, and supporting I, a family. Yeah, and all exactly. That. The and, responsible thing. And those things, and so. And des but, but design is still a bucket of fun. You know, oh. it's, it's great. You know what I mean? It's, if it wasn't, it's, we wouldn't oh, have stayed in it for yeah, all this year. Exactly. Or, yeah, exactly. But I mean, I think that was the thing: is that I was for for a while there. I always loved to draw. I, you know, you yeah. talk to my parents and stuff. I mean, they were saying I was always drawing pictures. They they thought I'd be an artist too. But I always thought that was the field that you couldn't make any money on. So I thought I was putting it all in this music thing. And then I just kind of fell into graphic design. I didn't realize there was this field that like, oh, yeah, yeah somebody has to design all this stuff that's around us, all these papers and then websites and all this other stuff. Yeah. And it, it just like amazed me that like, wow, I could, you know, basically draw pictures and get paid for it, in a, in a, you know, and not have to be a gallery, you know, yeah. rise that whole, you know in like a commercial way I could be, you yeah. know, and it's still be art, you know, and still be, you know, beautiful and fun. So on that note, let's talk more about your sketches. You, you take, you keep these immaculate, um, sketchbooks of, you know, you, you, you like hanging out in the airport and, you know, like drawing, you know, outside the airplane window and you watercolors and beautiful calligraphy. And, and, and a lot of this is, um, just for your own personal creativity and like, that, that, that's the part that's really amazing to me is you mentioned in your talk that some of these uh, sketches you haven't really shown until like the last few years and you've been doing them for so long and they really are beautiful I mean Thank if you. I was doing you know nowadays people do these kinds of things they'll tweet them every night or Instagram because they're trying to you know make themselves known and shown what they can do and obviously you, you don't really need to prove yourself you know probably but uh, I do that too where I, I you know I I'm tr trying to draw pictures on a regular basis, but I, I have to share them, you know, because I want people to see what I can do because I want to do more of that kind of work, you know. I'm not there yet. You know, I'd love to just draw pictures and get paid for it, you know, but, you know, sometimes i got to code and sometimes i got to do, the, you know, other things. So I'm just... Tell me more about that, you know. Tell well, me more. How did that all start? And have you always done... Just always done that, never stopped? Tell me about no, your sketching. Uh, the sketchbooks came along... Um, I had started my design career in Houston and uh, stayed there until 1973 and then came to Minneapolis. But once I became uh, 
uh, a partner in a design firm and started really, I think, finding the kind of the mainstream of graphic design and, and getting clients and getting some success in terms of getting new business and, and continuing to to grow and build a firm and things like that, then I realized I did not have any time to personally draw anymore. Mm -hmm. And so um, I had started in the, when I started in the 60s as a designer, uh, in those days in Houston, designers if uh, were hired for draftsmanship skills. So in other words, drawing was highly sought after if you had that mm -hmm. skill set because this was way before computers. Or the computer art, yeah. And it was also when we, we were required to kind of not only render headlines and things like that accurately and certain typefaces and whatever, so you basically, you know, you were you were sought after if you had draft, draftsmanship skills on top of whatever education you had toward, mm. toward the design profession. So, what, but what, what changed for me was when I got to Minneapolis was the more success I, I, I achieved as, uh, as a designer and then as a partner and then my, with my own firm, uh, the more I had to farm out illustration. So, and I knew that I just didn't have time to try to devote serious time. It's a little bit like the music thing we're talking about. I just didn't have time to devote serious time to drawing. On a project, and for you're a very time. meticulous person too. So it's not like you're going to just crank something no, 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 out no, no. overnight. Yeah, you know, yeah, no, you no. want to spend the time. I yeah. mean, there's some detailed. If you go to um, Eric's website, is it E Madsen? Eric Madsen. Eric .com. Um, You can see some of these. He has some tools up there that he's he's drawn and then painted as well. Watercolor, watercolor on top. It, it, watercolor. It's photorealism, really. I mean, it's amazing the detail on this stuff. And it, oh, I, I doubt that just happened over like a, you know, <laughs> no, on a napkin right. over lunch no, or something. I, yeah, you're right, Dan. No. <laughs> it wasn't a Citibank sketch or whatever, no, you know. <laughs> no, no, no. So but I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and then where I was going to, with your question was that... Um, what happened for me was in the in the 70s when I started getting more and more out of town business and, and or maybe art directing photography or traveling to printers out of town or whatever was I was starting to fly so much and uh, it, it hit me one time on a flight I was sitting there for probably a couple hours and uh, I didn't own a sketchbook at that point, and I thought, "Really, boy!" I, so I remember I was I, I remember picking up some. I, I remember going through my bag, and I found some paper, and I just started kind of doodling or something like that. I may have been actually thinking about a project or something, but the next flight, before that flight, I bought a sketchbook, and then I started drawing, and then because I was traveling so much and then I did that for 40 years I found that uh, that was really the only time I had to draw mm. because during the normal work day with employees and whatever I was managing the firm I was running a, I was running a graphic design firm and any kind of art or illustration was obviously something that I would be farming out uh, to illustrators all over the country or whatever so the sketchbooks became uh, my way to kind of reconnect 
with that kind of that art bug that you and I both had when we were young. Yeah. yeah. And 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 lo and behold, uh, forty years of that, you fill up a lot of books, and so it did become somewhat thematic because a lot of it ended up taking on kind of a a travel kind of mm-hmm. you know theme uh, as you saw in the presentation so yeah absolutely. yeah so but it was a way it's it's like you were talking about trying you come home and you sit down at that piano or you pick up your guitar like I do mm-hmm. and it's it, it was a way for me to keep that muscle memory alive and that hand eye can that thing that that we don't want to lose touch with, and um, so and, and like you mentioned a second ago, it, it keeps you in touch with that childhood creativity and that yeah. imagination. Yeah, you know, because yeah. I think that can get. I was having some conversations with uh, some other people at the conference um, last couple of days, and I find a lot of us are finding that anything that can get us in touch with that the yeah. imagination of your childhood is great. You know, so for some people, that's like. You know, collecting Legos again, or you know, or whatever things like that. Like, or like, recently bought my younger brother some some Lego sets and was building them with him. And I'm like, yeah, this is the thing, isn't it? You know, so it's it's things like that that like just get you into that mindset that like takes you back. And and so drawing does that for me for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, we share that. I mean, and and it's just something. It's a little bit like our connection with the guitar and music, or you know, and um, it's just. There is just some uh, incredible, you know, power to that. Is is keeping that alive, and so these sketchbooks became a way for me to keep uh, to kind of keep that that flame burning, and um, and then later the tools you mentioned uh, actually were um, were the result of being uh, kind of pushed and pushed and pushed. You know, by my great friend, you know, Dougal Sturmer, and uh, talk a little bit about him. Yeah, he was uh, a guy that uh, our paths crossed over thirty some years ago, and uh, and is his name really Dougal? Is yeah, Dougal. Dougal. Yeah, yeah. He still has a website up, even really? though he's passed away. Yeah, and uh, uh, but we became lifelong friends, uh, like brothers, actually, for over thirty years, and. Uh, um, he knew I loved to draw, and uh, we shared a love of the West. We shared a love of we both, guitars. We both collected uh, Martin guitars. Luckily for me, he was a lefty and not a righty, so we didn't fight over any guitars. But one of the things that he left me, uh, and you know, sadly he's gone now. But one of the things he left me was his insistence that I resume my drawing in a serious way. Good for him. Yeah, so he <laughs> hammered away and hammered at, away at me, but it wasn't until about um, six years ago that I finally caved in and started uh, doing uh, that initial series on tools that you referenced just a Absolutely. moment ago, and which is a series of 21 uh, tools. That oh, my, that many? Yeah, 21 of my late father-in-law's tools. and uh, But it was Dougal who really... Um, he kind of pushed me and pushed me and pushed me. I spent so much time in San Francisco in his offices, and I'd watch him work, and we would talk about it on our annual jaunts to Cody, Wyoming, and the Cowboy Music Festival and things like that, and uh, wherever we are, wherever we would meet, and we tried to uh, to meet 
you know, as many times a year as we could just to get together and, you know, whether it was looking for cowboy boots or guitars or something, you know, so. Um, Are you wearing cowboy boots? No, I, you know, I was going to, Ben, <laughs> but, you know, surprisingly, they're not war very warm. <laughs> I've discovered I in know. Minnesota. Yeah. I, I've never never yeah. worn any. I, I, I oh, wear a yeah. size 15 wide, and it's very hard. you got to have custom-made <laughs> boots. Yeah, about. I can't afford custom-made yeah. boots at this point in my career. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but um, anyway, we, 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 you know, it was really, I think he just kind of said, you know, when are you going to get... In fact, he would. He was after me to actually move to San Francisco and share his office space with him. But he said, when are you going to get serious about your drawing again? So, um, Aren't, Isn't it great when friends push us? Well, yeah. You know, you know it yeah. is really... It's wonderful. Yeah. You know? And yeah. I... The best friends don't don't think that it's an intruding. They no. don't, they know what's in you and they just push it out right. of you. And what right. a blessing yeah. that is when that comes. Well, to across. be pushed by somebody like Google Sturmer, and I'm sure most of your audience listening knows who he is and his what his work is, and or you know his body of work is legendary. And uh, you know his obituary was written by Steve Heller in the New York Times. I mean, he's you know Milton Glaser and Brad Holland, Kip Heinrichs, you know Aunt Steve Heller. The list is so so long, and the people that you know that he most of the guys have been on our podcast. Yeah, besides Milton Glaser. Yeah, (laughs) and and people that are all that were all his friends and his peers, and who respected his work, and uh, you know, and to be pushed by uh, a a guy like that, even though he was my closest friend for thirty years, is 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 like a gift, and uh, so. Thanks to him, I, I, you know, I really kind of, I decided to really get serious about it again and, um, and devote the time it takes. And it's a little bit, I suppose, like woodshedding. If you wanted to be a real great guitarist, you know, you've got to kind of go away and work and work and work and work. Well, I, I kind of decided I'm going to, I'm going to carve out the time and really devote to doing it. And uh, what was fun for me was that our drawing styles are. And our approaches were so similar because we could kind of share that too, you know. Establish mm-hmm. the drawing in graphite first, uh, completely get the values all established, the lights and darks, and get the composition done. And then, I love to just watch you work. Yeah, that's and, amazing. And then fix it, you know, with fixative, and then uh, then apply watercolor over it, you know. And whether it's in in his case, he did it more in a wash style, and my case it's it was more uh, almost a dry brush style you know very oh, really? more i would call it <laughs> more more surgical as i showed in my no my kidding. slides the, the brushes that yeah, eric uses on this stuff are just itty bitty like yeah. microscopic three hairs there. yeah there three you hairs, go three yeah. tiny little yeah, hairs. Three tiny hairs baby yeah. horse hairs yeah so. baby yeah. right 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 <laughs> baby sable hairs yeah there you go yeah. it's unbelievable yeah thanks yeah, yeah no you and so you did the 21 uh tools are you are you on a new series now or you have some other things you're, you're I'm working, working on, on a, um of course your audience says can't see this but you saw it in the slideshow i'm i'm starting to work on a series of new pieces that are somewhat related to the material you saw in the slide presentation, which is um, kind of combines my love of calligraphy and kind of ephemera and postage and all that kind of stuff. I'm doing a series right now on that and and uh, uh, hope to get a body of work 
at least enough together to maybe have a show of that like I did with oh, the tools that's awesome. ours, you know so yeah that's neat was that pretty cool to have your own show like that yeah it really like, was yeah. had you done that before never had See, never that's cool. had. and that's not yeah that's not like graphic design you know you, no, you it don't was always so, have a show <laughs> yeah well it was just different it was it was I don't know it was so it's fine art I mean really? well it, you know, you know it, it is, is. And, and I think that it, there was just this other component to it as well Ben I think it was the feeling that um, seeing a whole body of work up on a wall like that at one time and then having the gallery uh, just you know inundated with people in it, that opening and, and in fact uh, Dougal flew out from San Francisco and surprised me at the opening okay. even but which was uh, just a tremendous absolutely tremendous oh, yeah, thrill be the best part for yeah you. it was yeah. just yeah absolutely totally you know he and my daughter had kind of secretly teamed this teamed up and figured this out but they she walked in on his arm that night and uh, it was great uh, but yeah it was great yeah it was really really nice and uh, I think I hadn't felt the feeling I felt that night Ben and, and so, uh, since nights when Ron and I would play a coffee house and people would really? applaud. You know, really? we don't get a lot of applause no, as graphic it's designers. No, that's different than the music world. It is, isn't that's it? That's true. Unless you come speak at Design Camp. Yeah. Then you get standing ovations well, and people crying and wanting yeah. you on your pod, their podcast well, and all this, like, you, all this were, mushy stuff. You guys were very generous <laughs> to me, I'll say that. But I just remember that night so well because what I what resonated with me standing there because over 300 and some people showed up at the wow. gallery it was mobbed and I was just blown away but I flashed back to some of those concerts that we used to do at coffee houses mm -hmm. where it would be you know there might be a couple hundred people in the audience or something and then after a song they they applaud mm -hmm. you know and uh just want to say you did great the other day. Really enjoyed the presentation. Thank you so much. <laughs> See, oh listeners, uh, I told you. Uh, <laughs> She's probably crying right now. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what I'm going to remember. I, you're uh, the guy that precious. made everybody cry. Uh. Right? Even my, I even cried myself. But anyway, what, I just, I, and I think you can share that because you're a musician. But I just feel, yeah, I felt that night. It just reminded me that. Um, of that feeling because over my design career other than a client say hey we really like that you know but it's not it doesn't always happen you know it doesn't always happen if you got a good client it does you but. know but you don't get that recognition that instant that, yeah and and it's no wonder the stones are still still considering another tour you know i mean why yeah. not look at paul mccartney still yeah, trying right. to, you know keeping it together i know that's right yeah right. Paul Simon. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know what Art Garfunkel is doing these days, but well, I'm sure he's doing something. Great article in Rolling Stone. Yeah. Uh, recent Rolling Stone. He had all of his problems with his vocal cords. Right, yeah. And yeah. he's now back. Oh, he is. Oh, he's now know. back. He's, his That's voice great. is coming back. And it was a wonderful article in Rolling Stone. And well, I love it. We could talk about music all yeah, night. Yeah, we? Maybe we I will. Know. I don't know. Yeah. Oh. But that was kind of great to hear that he's... His uh, the problems he had with his vocal cord issue are mm -hmm. maybe hopefully behind him because right. what a magical voice! Oh, I mean, I One think, I, think I think art's wonderful. You know, oh, I, I know that he kind of gets you know tossed aside because he's yeah hanging around the genius of Paul. You know, Simon. 
that's got to be tough, you know. But I mean, he really does have a nice thing going. One of my favorite songs is actually the song uh, "Bright Eyes." Oh yeah. You know, and uh, not the band Bright Eyes from Omaha that everybody. You know. Oh, you have a band called. Yeah, 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 it's a yeah. But um, anyways, Bright Eyes. I just think it's a great, a great tune. And, um, yeah, I love art. <laughs> what a great guy. What a great guy. Yeah, Eric. We're going to have to wrap this thing yep. up at some point, but I am so thankful that hey, you took the time to do this. And it's just welcome. fun to talk yeah. <laughs> music and drawing and it all is. this with you. Yeah. And just to hear hear more of your story. Thanks. You know, it really is encouraging because I, I really do think that, I mean, everyone has a story. Yep. So anyone can relate to this kind of stuff. Yep. So, you know, whether they play guitar or even know who John Denver or Dutchendorf or whoever yep. is. Um, so I just, I, I really thank you for sharing the story tonight, Eric. You're welcome. I'm honored. Thank you. <laughs> We're shaking hands again. Yeah. Thank you very much, Ben. Thank you for listening to the Reflex Blue Show. For more information, visit 36point.com. The Reflex Blue Show was created by Donovan Beery and Nate Voss. 